Today's businesses are on a vigilant watch for threats in an ongoing cyber war. It's time to get real-world solutions to protect and secure your valuable business information anytime, anywhere. Welcome to Cybersecurity America with Josh Nicholson. You're about to gain special access into a world of restricted information and a backstage pass to the inner sanctum of cybersecurity operations. Here's your host, Joshua Nicholson. Welcome to Cybersecurity America. This is your host, Joshua Nicholson. Today's topic and episode is going to be on identity and access management, how critical it is to your organization, how critical it is to a functioning security operations. Now, today, I am lucky today I have Rakesh on the phone today, on the show today. And Rakesh is a cybersecurity leader. He has over 18 years of progressive experience assisting Fortune 500 companies and implementing security and risk management programs. He was previously the head of IAM for an insurance company and managed all aspects of IAM, including governance, strategy, roadmap, engineering, regulatory compliance, and operations. He has worked in a variety of leadership positions, running several IAM services. He has been in management consulting at bid for organizations where he was part of the cybersecurity consulting group focused on financial services. That's where he and I work together at EMI. And then outside of IAM, Rakesh also has experience across broad areas of cybersecurity to include endpoint data security, network security, vendor risk management, and cyber governance. He has a bachelor's degree in computer science engineering from VTU, India, and holds a CISP, CISM, C-RISC certifications. He's based out of Charlotte, North Carolina. We lives with his wife and two kids. And in his free time, he enjoys going on tracks, training for marathons, playing poker and motorcycle rides. Welcome to the show, Rakesh. It's so glad to have you. Hey, Josh. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be on the show with you. I've heard your other podcasts, and I think these are these podcasts are really helping a variety of people. So really happy to be on the show and do my bit and help contribute to the cause. Oh, I appreciate it. Welcome. Now, I, I, that was one of your short bios there, but anything I missed, anything you've been focused on? A bunch of things, right? So just a little bit about me. So when I started my career, the first, I think, 18 months or two years, I actually did mainframes, right? I loved mainframes and the whole kicks, the cobalt, JCLs, all of that in one screen. You don't have to go to five different places, all of that. And then security just happened. So started off with a systems integration company, did a lot of IEM, BCP, DR initiatives. That's where I pretty much started my security journey. It was more, my, my roles were more technical in nature before I moved to a big four organization. And now that's where I started branching off into various other domains of cybersecurity. All in all, yeah, it's close to 20 years in this industry. There's never a dull day, as you can imagine. And when somebody was asking me, what does a good day look like? I was like, a day with no issues is a good day, as with all of us in this cybersecurity industry. Yeah. And so are you seeing a greater impact of IAM? IAM used to be an IT problem. Is it really a security problem now? But where do you see in the the enterprises? Where is it focused now? Is it more on the IT? Is it a cybersecurity function? Where does it live? It lives in both places, to be honest. And IAM is no more a technology program because it is one of those very interesting domains within cybersecurity, which is not just about risk reduction or improving security, but it, is, it has also aspects of 
improving your operational efficiency. It has aspects of user experience. And as you think about how companies rolling out their transformation and modernization programs, you would have probably seen in, in most companies the the, the perimeter is pretty much vanishing, right? The companies are moving into cloud. Identity is right there in the middle of everything. Anything happens in the company, there is a component that is access management related. So all in all, this absolutely has become very core business um, centric, a component of anything that the company thinks of nowadays. Okay, now, uh, Long story short, you know, IEM, what do we do? It's the it's ensuring the right people have the right access to the right resources at the right time. As easy as it is said, it's just becoming more and more complex. Now, obviously, there are a ton of cloud service providers. There's increased regulatory compliance, NYDFS, and as an example, that is more prevalent nowadays, and not to mention all these SOC, SOC 1, PCI type of initiatives. But this has become... Uh, a very important initiatives. Most companies even have board level attention just because of the impact IEM can have across the organization. And you can see it, it has its niches in everything you do from GRC compliance to different aspects of the security program. So if I sure. was a security operations manager or I'm a CISO for a company, what are the five things I need to look for to understand where am I? Most people ask, what's my maturity? What does good look like? If I just have active directory, and I just use Active Directory for authentication. And maybe I use ping for some authentication from some outside applications. But really, what should be level one foundational that I should look at putting a program in, into a program? Yeah, like any program as important as IEM, what you absolutely need to start with is what are your drivers? It includes things like what are your business imperatives? What are your regulatory and compliance requirements? What are your audit issues? What is top priority for the businesses? Now, starting from there, you obviously get into steps around defining what a strategy or a roadmap would look like for your company. Now, obviously, putting together a strategy and a roadmap is, it does not happen overnight, right? You put together things in place and then things change. So you have to continuously refine your strategy and roadmap. So you should always have your eye on, uh, on the future, the vision, right? Sometimes you have to take different paths. But the first step is to absolutely define your priorities, define what your short-term strategy looks like, what your long-term vision looks like. And then you also want to make sure you look at it end-to-end, -end, right? Most often I see companies really focusing on their most important issue today, but not having that that long-term your long-term direction of where you where they want to go. And very often I also see companies doing things in a very haphazard, unplanned, manual way, just because they just want to get rid of the problem now. But then they end up paying in, in operational expenses later down the road. So if I were to start with, if I were to start in a green field, then I would absolutely understand those few things that I mentioned. And then the second thing, you want to look at this end-to-end, -end, right? When you talk about IEM, you're really talking about like an entire life cycle, right? It starts from when a user joins your company to when they leave the company and everything in between. Okay, just as an example, you hire somebody, they come in through your workplace and whatnot, and then they're fed into your IEM system. So day one, they need all your birthright access, things like your email, your network account, your access to your portals, homepages, and whatnot. That's not where it stops, right? They need their day two access, things like business roles-related access, whatever access they need to do their job function. 
So if you look at the life cycle, a user has to come in, put in a request. The right people have to approve those requests. Again, depends on the type of access, right? If it is privileged access, then you need additional levels of approval. For example, you want to make sure the access does not have any conflicting entitlements. You don't want to give somebody access to, for example, create an invoice and approve an invoice, right? You can do that. Once you get past the request and approval phase, you get into provisioning and deprovisioning, right? How do you create an account? Are you creating it the right way? Does it have the right metadata and whatnot? So once you create the account, the user has access. You want to make sure they have the least amount of access needed to do their job, some of the basic access management principles. And then you start talking about authentication and authorization, right? Things like your desktop sign-on, single sign-on, multi-factor, two-factor, risk-based authentication, all of those come into play when you look at authentication, right? And then you have your crown jewels, managing privileged access, managing directories, managing keys and secrets. You have to think about this end-to-end and you have to make sure you have controls across the life cycle. Things like you leave the company, you want to make sure your birthright or perimeter access is revoked immediately. Right? So just so you know, you cut the person off the network, there's nothing malicious going on, disgruntled users taking, doing bad things. So you have to look at this across the life cycle. You have to make sure you implement controls in each phase of this life cycle. So once you identify your long-term strategy, once you start looking at this end-to-end, you start defining your roadmap, you start defining your projects, where it takes you from a level one basic maturity to maybe a level 2.5, level three, right? Or you reach a level four. Achieving level five is easier said than done. I've already seen companies do that and do it well across the landscape of IEM. But you do want to think about phasing out some of these. And the most forgotten part in many IEM strategies and roadmaps is the user experience. There's user fatigue, right? Because you want to make sure People are able to log in once and access whatever they want. Or if they're coming from a different place, you're applying multi-factor. You're sending managers these access recertification emails, right? I've had complaints where they're looking at like a list of thousand entitlements. The managers don't understand what they're looking at, which leads to bad decision making. You know, you want you want to keep the user experience in mind as one of the key considerations while defining your Roadmaps. It's interesting. I was when I was at Wells Fargo, you get these entitlement messages that would come in and they would say, Your employee has this right. And it was like three pages long. I have no idea what those rights are. I mean, it was a kind of archaic group name. So you really don't understand the context of what you're approving. So I find yeah, kind of IAM governance programs, it's really in in some ways counter effect intuitive to say or counter effective to let say, let me send this to his manager to approve their access. I think that's fine if it's put into a context that you can make a decision on other than some archaic group names of Active Directory. You have no idea where that's assigned to. You don't know what it does. You know, And what happens is the manager gets put into a role where if he kicks back on anything, is a potential of stopping his employee from getting something done. Something stops working. All of a sudden, it was a blowout because I didn't know that. So it's safer for me just to approve all the access he had before rather than is me to ask anything about any of them. Exactly. Exactly. That has so many issues right there, right? One, you're rubber stamping access. The access review is not really 
solving the objective for which it has been set up. And second, people use this data for other things, right? So if you're building roles, if you're building policies, if you're building like an access baseline to do some data analytics, apply some AI on it to generate some intelligent data, all of that starts using a wrong baseline now. The key to that is when you do this work for the first time, you want to make sure you invest the right amount of time understand the business processes, understand the business context in which the access is being used, and then present it to the manager. Now the manager can see, here's a group that is used in this application. It gives him this person a read access, this person a write access. Five out of 10 people in my team have it, or just one person has it, which is probably an anomaly. You have to give contextual data. You have to wrap that data around whatever you present to the users. Otherwise, a lot of IAM programs fail for that nature because people do it for the sake of doing, but not really, but not keeping the core objectives in mind. So now you've worked for very big insurance companies and you've done it for Ernst & Young. And so you've done a lot of big stuff. What are the number, the couple first, I don't know, two or three items that you can almost guarantee failure with? If you start off doing it this way, there's no way. Get it back to the security world, the security ops world. If you start by dumping all your data in the SIM and just trying to figure it out after that, you're in trouble. So unless you define the use cases in the beginning and then the data sources, and then you decide what to pull in versus what do most people make a mistake in IM and not focusing on? A lot of different types of things, but I'm going to perhaps highlight the three or four things that I commonly see. First is not understanding the organization correctly. By that, what I mean is you need to understand what the operating model is currently of how IAM is being managed, being applied to know where you want to go. If you do something in silo, like federated operating model, right? each business unit doing their own type of IAM, not really following to, to the standards that you've put forth, just this federated operating model. And the federated nature of governance, that I've seen particularly does not work well. It's fine to have the work done in a federated way, but you need to have central governance. Even if you are not doing the work yourself, but if a business unit or a third party or whoever is doing it, you you need to have appropriate amount of governance. Otherwise, it's just going to be inconsistent, siloed, and you're going to spend a lot of time and money later trying to centralize everything. Again, if you centralize, that's great because now you you govern everything in one place. But again, not all companies can centralize just because, you know, the way companies are set up. But if you're not centralized, make sure at least you govern everything in in one place. The second thing is just short-term projects to solve the need of the hour. If you have a SOX problem, get into one of those IGA tools and you start onboarding applications for the sake of free certification. What you're doing there is you may be solving the problem for now, but what you have not looked at, that entire life cycle I mentioned, you're just taking a very, very short-term view, very narrow approach of solving the problem, if you will. And then the other thing is I've not seen companies um, look at how IEM processes and tools and technologies are adopted by business units. You have to make it easy for your users. You have to make it easy for your application owners, business IT stakeholders to adopt IAM services. A lot of time they get they're very held, they get hung up on, on how a tool works, 
versus making it easy for people to adopt. So you should be looking at it, defining a foundation, defining a framework, defining approved patterns, REST APIs, service bus, whatever the, those solutions and processes may be. But at the end of the day, you have to make it easy for your users to the solution. So, you know, that, that user or application adoption, just the federated way of things working. And, and a lot of time companies having a very myopic view of solving for today's problem hasn't really helped a lot of firms. Those would be like two or three things that would come to the top of my mind. So tell me this, you, you really experienced at the enterprise level, what does a smaller or mid-sized company think about with IAM? I'm sure there's a different approach. Can't really c- centralize a lot of things. It's different technologies, different problems. So what, do you, what is your focus for a small, medium-sized business? So let me take a step back and just tell all the different pillars of IAM right before I start answering that question. So you have what we call IGA, Identity Governance and Administration. That's the pillar that has your request approval processes, recertification, provisioning, deprovisioning, access revocation, data analytics. All of that is what we call IGA, right? And then you have authentication and authorization, which is basically your single sign-on, your MFA, risk-based authentication, policy-based authentication, 2FA, all of those things, right? And then you have privileged access management where, you know, you're... You are looking to manage your highest level, uh, people with highest levels of access, things like your domain administrators, your Active Directory schema administrators, people who hold the keys to the kingdom, people who have access to bring down an entire AWS domain, people who have access to your vaults. All those guys are what I would call privileged users with privileged, uh, high privileged access. So managing the entire lifecycle of a privileged account and entitlements is another pillar, right? And then you have other things around directory services, and you have your horizontals like cybersecurity, architecture, governance, controls, et cetera. Right? When you're looking for a small-sized company, and again, obviously, depending on the risk appetite of the company, what you want to start with is identify all your high-risk assets, high-risk applications. I would encourage them to get those applications, those platforms secured. And for example, privileged access, right? I think it was a Forrester report that said more than 80% of data breaches involve privileged access because nowadays the threat actors, the cyber criminals are not necessarily looking to introduce malware or disable your antivirus or disable lock, lock tampering, things like that. Instead, what they're trying to do is try to find the weakest link, try to get access to a valid account, do social engineering and phishing to get around your MFA controls, right? Standing up for those web pages and whatnot. At the end of the day, they try to get access to a valid account. Once they're in the network, then obviously they can traverse, right? They can hop across networks. They use SSH, whatever protocols to try and gain access to the privileged accounts. Once you get access to the privileged accounts, you know, that's how they start infiltrating networks and data, right? These are all the various, what I call verticals or pillars with IEM for an SMB company. Coming back to the question, I think start with securing your platforms because in your networks, that's number one, because that's your first layer that is exposed. Next, look at the application layer. And when you're doing application layer, make sure you're doing it end to end. No, that makes sense. And I mean, could you still, is your IAM program really hampered from having low visibility of how many applications are actually out there and uh, supporting legacy protocols, for instance? We had an issue here where we had attack or password stuffing attacks against the Azure instance. And 
when we got into doing some of the incident response on it, one thing we know noticed is that legacy protocols were enabled. And what it allowed is POP3 and IMAP, some of these older protocols to help use, to bridge the gap for some later technology to use Azure. So for instance, if you want to use the app that's on your phone and you want to be able to connect that to a mail store, you would use a POP3, post office box, POP3, or you use IMAP4, one of these other protocols, and you connect and you can download the mail. The problem though is you can't put MFA on those older protocols. So what they were doing is they would have Active Sync enabled on an, an iPad or on an iPhone, and they would constantly go to attack the password, and MFA would never get tripped. So you would see where your IAM system has to account not just what authentication authorization should look for look like at most of your easy applications that easily tie into things and support SAML and support all this other stuff. What happens when they don't support any of that? And you have to deal with it from a risk management perspective. Oh, absolutely. And yeah, no, and some of those types of use cases, I guess, is now is how we, we step into you know, the concept of zero trust, right? Again, when you say zero trust, you know, obviously you're looking at compute networks, applications, devices, and IAM is, is in all those places, right? You're looking to secure your privileged applications, privileged accounts. You're looking to implement risk-based policies, not just at the authentication layer, but also things like what kind of data is being accessed and at what time is the data being accessed. You're trying to create a pattern of access behavior. You're trying to make, you're trying to use that activity to, to make sense. That's true. You know, organizations have the, these legacy applications that just don't work well with some of the modern protocols, but now you do have to compensate with other things, enhanced monitoring, enhanced alerting, enhanced request approval processes before anybody can actually do any kind of changes, get any access. But application is, is in the center of the universe. You want to enhance all those processes before anybody hits that application. And now you're talking about your cloud service providers, how your networks and VPCs are built, how your hosts are built, making sure local accounts are disabled everywhere. You want to make sure you strengthen the controls around it if the application in the center is not able to use all the modern calls or authentication, or sorry, not authentication, but modern controls that are being provided. Yes. What do you do when you have an application where the authentication authorization are built in code inside the application? doesn't support an enterprise IAM system, or <sighs> use Active Directory groups or anything. It's a silo from its authentication. So how do you incorporate? And first of all, I would try to move out of that application if possible. Otherwise, a few things that you can do. Absolutely get the application onboarded to your identity governance systems, right? which means there is a continuous feed of all access entitlements going into a IGA system. It could be things like SailPoint, Savian, any of those tools right, that are used, which can take, a, which can keep a tab on the, the type of users that are accessing the application, the kind of roles and policies that are built. And you can start defining some policies based on the requirements of the application, meaning if there's a trading application that is being used Strictly between, say, 9 a.m. and 5 p.m., you can absolutely trigger alerts if somebody is you know, accessing the application outside the timeline. Right? Other thing I would do is focus on the authentication framework, if you, if you will. Most of these obviously have standalone databases or authentication happening locally within the application itself. Now, these are the ones you want to care about more. 
because anybody can create their own local accounts in a malicious way and get access to the application. So I would have increased monitoring on any new account creation and also involving managers and app application owners in interviewing the access. Again, like I said, and I would try not to use applications that have words and everything built into the code or doing siloed or in a standalone transactions. But again, like absolutely understand that large companies do have those kind of those types of applications. Yeah, it makes sense. And then federations. How how do you see in a real push towards federations, a lot more applications using SAML, more integration? Or are you still seeing kind of siloed applications out there? What's the new standard? Um, when I was dealing with IAM and dealing with people doing it, it was just a whole host of legacy stuff they were dealing with that you couldn't really push a program forward on on something. So is that still the case? Yeah, there is definitely more recognition to the value that an IAM program brings to the table. There is recognition of doing things the right way. And I want to say companies have absolutely started adopting the leading standards. You mentioned authentication, just as an example. I know we have companies that have included that as part of their basic standards and policies, right? If you have a new application coming in, it has to go through one of those SAML, OIDC, one of the newer patterns that's that would have been defined by the authentication program for that company. It's, it has become a mandatory requirement now, especially you know, if you see, I think any company, I think I was reading this report that said they subscribe to at least 90 to 100 SaaS providers right, or services. You cannot have users from your company going and creating their own user IDs and accounts in each of those SaaS providers or SaaS applications. Right? You have to route all the traffic through your IDP, the identity provider. Right? It could be your Active Directory. It could be an Okta, Ping, Forgerock, whatever you use for SSO. You want to route all the transaction through your SSO or I framework, just so one, you can filter out the legit users from those who are not. Second, you can apply the right amount of the, the right kind of policies about who can access, when they can access, what kind of access they can. And third, you can manage the access when people join, people leave, people change their job function. For all those purposes, you absolutely have to have this as a mandatory requirement. And I think more and company, more and more companies are adopting to these standards, not just in authentication, by the way. Authentication was just one of the examples. But then when you're looking at applying the entire AM toolset, you're looking at doing all these things like the request approval, the segregation of duty checks, the applying the principles of least privileged reviewing access on a timely basis, quarterly, sometimes if it is privileged, yearly, if it is not so privileged, making those controls mandatory for any new application coming into the firm. Now, obviously, the existing applications, you do need to have the strategy and roadmap to remediate those existing applications, but slowly, slowly and surely, you want to stop the leak and start churning them around. Yeah, it makes sense. So what is a good business case when you put for your management saying, we need to invest in identity access management. We need to do this, we do that. How, how do you point to an investment point? How do you say, we have X amount of users doing this or that? Is it always compliance that justifies identity access management? or is that- It used to be compliance. It used to be compliance. SOC, SOC 1, for example, were one of the biggest drivers because in PCI, of course, because they need you to review access in a periodic 
at a periodic frequency, but not in regulatory compliance and audit issues are one of the drivers. There's absolutely more drivers than just that. By that, what I mean is any organization or decently sized organization, for example, they are they have users submitting thousands of tickets, right? The manual effort to look at a request, to make sure it has all the right information, to make sure then you actually provision access, contacting the user. There's a lot of manual work. So organizations have looked at operational efficiency as one of the drivers, because once you automate this entire process, the request approval, the provisioning, deprovisioning, you're looking at savings in the order of millions because now you're talking of 20, 40,000 tickets as an example every month. Now, like I said, now operational efficiency is one, another driver. User experience. And when I say user experience, I am, I think most of the context we're talking about is uh, workforce or internal, right? But there's an external piece of uh, external customer related side of things too, right? So if you're, if you have, uh, for example, you know, customers accessing a application that where, where they just need a code, right? For, for whatever they want to purchase. You want to look at how you can do some identity proofing whenever, whenever you have new customers joining or registering themselves. So there are a set of IAM functions. Again, those are slightly differ, but conceptually they're still the same. You're looking at things like registration, you're looking at password management, you're looking at identity proofing, you're looking at your password resets, and then you're looking at certain roles. Now, you can companies use the IAM tools and processes on the customer side to do a bunch of things. One is to streamline their experience. Second, I've seen banks, for example, connect there are different channels, right? So if you are as a user call a call center versus you walk into a banking center versus you just call the IVR, they want you to have a very streamlined experience. So when you apply the concepts of IEM, trying to correlate all these different channels, different user flows, different user experiences into one streamlined pattern, I think they find that it suddenly simplifies the experience for users, right? Yeah, now you have one way of doing things irrespective of you calling a bank versus logging in online versus walking into a banking center, right? So there's the customer side of things, which is one of the biggest drivers as well. Long story short, it's just not, you know, regulatory or compliance related drivers, but there's operational efficiency, there's user experience, there's, there's quite honestly a lot of things to do with reducing risk. We are all in the business of risk reduction, IAM plays an important role. Yeah, it sounds like it. I think at first you think of it from a compliance perspective, you got to be able to do audits, attestations. But when you look at it from a integration perspective, reduction of manpower needing to do the functions and do the attestations and do everything that if you could get done programmatically at a platform perspective, it's a lot more cost effective and a lot more efficiency and not prone to human error. And I think the bigger piece too, as well, is not just the streamlining for internal users, but when you have an external facing customer base, when you're online banking, for instance, the customer experience goes through the roof. Half the time, they don't think about the customer experience of the employee of what it's like to authenticate internally, but they definitely understand the customer's perspective and how do you reduce that? And then how can I play into a better security here? Well, how do I self-report some access maybe I don't need anymore? Or how do you put the hands in the user versus this overreaching, overarching program that's going to analyze everything and it's going to send you an audit email and ask you a test. How how do you have some self-reporting too as well that can help self-manage some of the credential management, you know? 
Yeah, one of the ways, uh, the biggest way an organization can help itself is using self-service. You want to show your users as much contextual data as possible so they can make their own decision. This also goes back to, like I said, you have to make your services adoptable very easily by your application teams, platforms teams, all your business IT teams. You don't want to take them through a hundred step process. Instead, try to those four or five things they can do. Nobody has the time to go invest six months to just onboard an application to one of your tool sets. You want to cut that time down to a week, two weeks, a few weeks to get it done more quickly. Now, in this cybersecurity business, we know users are the weakest link, right? If you do not educate your users, if you do not build that culture of doing the right things, doing it the right way, and not necessarily the, taking the easy way out, you do that, you are opening yourself up to a, a lot of uh, cybersecurity-related issues. Now, I've seen a bunch of things being done, specifically with AEM users, right? One is... Helping the IT teams and business teams understand the importance of having their applications onboarded to some of these same services and controls. It could be identity governance. It could be privileged access. Letting them know how it benefits them, how they're going to reap the rewards by spending this little time and what kind of ultimately how they're helping the company, right? Whether SOX compliance, SOC 1 compliance, PCI, any of those things, right? Second, doing some roadshows about what is the basics of them or what are some of the things that you would expect a user to do, meaning make sure you have strong passwords, make sure you have your MFA set up, make sure you're using, you're not connecting to unsecured networks when you're outside, things like that. Or even from an IM perspective, doing things like do not give admin access on their laptops and desktops, right? A lot of times users don't know, they, they click on emails, certain things get installed and whatnot. But if you have done the right thing by securing all the privileged access, limiting privileged access on their devices, then you are helping the user, you're helping yourself, you're helping the firm, right? So there's a bunch of things you can do with users and how you can educate users there. Yeah, I had a, a few things I saw was I did some research here on something that was talking about the importance of identity for SaaS applications. So many organizations are going SaaS. And it says these are like the top nine that Okta was reporting as some of the things. So get your perspective. Number one was user password fatigue. Always having to come yeah. up with password. Number two is a failure-prone manual provisioning and deprovisioning process. So it's... Sure. Sounds great on paper, but it's not operating as supposed to. And you always have to call the help desk. Number three, they say, is compliance visibility. Who has access to what? That seems to always be critical, even with SaaS applications. And it said, uh, siloed user directories for each application. So separate username, password, and ID, ID store for one thing. You could see some banks where online banking was one thing. But if you wanted to go over to securities and you want to see where your securities were at, for instance. So, oops, that's another authentication through a different provider. And then they said that number five is managing access for remote work. That's become more difficult, I guess, when doing identity access management, not being on a local network. Mm -hmm. It said uh, keeping application integrations up to date. Boy, I know that this on the SIM SOC side is you have an integration to Blue Code or you have integration to Tripwire, or whatever. And it's like, oops, that was for version four. It doesn't work for version five. And just now you got to wait for the vendor to come up with an integration that, that for that version, it just becomes this constant. You're like a mouse running on the wheel, right? Waiting for the next integration. Sure. 
And it says number seven, different administration models for different applications, different groups. Yeah. Ones. Another one is suboptimal utilization and lack of insight into best practices. So it would be like we set it up this way just to get it up and running. Some consultants maybe come in, but it, they didn't take a holistic approach to how a access management needs to occur in them. And they're working. Yep. I mean, that says number nine, provide consistent access to on-prem and cloud applications through the same solution. So what are your thoughts on those top top nine there? No, absolutely valid. And I think we spoke about actually a bunch of them, right? If I recollect that user fatigue, right? That means that's all your manual processes. And now you mentioned you had 30 pages of entitlements to look at research, having 10 different user IDs and passwords across 10 applications. All of that contributes to the user experience and user fatigue, right? Absolutely. I think, like I said, when I described all those different pillars, you you pretty much have to have a strategy and a roadmap for each pillar of IEM, whether it is authentication and password management, whether it is just access management, provisioning, deprovisioning, trying to go away from manual processes, error-prone processes to more automated, more informed, and uh, more basically streamlined provisioning, deprovisioning processes. Now, the way to achieve all of this, again, is you do this, the three or four things, which is one, you build a solid foundation, a framework by taking into account all the kinds of use cases, all the types of requirements, all the types of applications across the company. You build four or five patterns that will resolve or that will solve for say 80, 90% of the company, you will never be able to solve 100% of the problem, right? You'll never be able to apply these four patterns you develop to every single application, but you wanna make sure you cover a majority, right? So now you are forcing applications to use the three or four approved methods, and then having a good governance processes. Now, this technology, as much as we like it, there's going to be failures, there's going to be changes, applications upgrading, applications changing data model, applications getting re-architected, applications going SaaS, which means you need to have a good governance process flowing back into your IEM program that takes into account all those changes, and then make sure there's an impact assessment. Is that impacting my identity governance processes? Is it impacting my privileged access processes? Is it impacting my authentication processes? And at the end of the day, you have remedial actions for all, all this feed that is coming in. Build your framework, build your patterns, make it easy for the, the teams, and then get a factory model in place, right? You have to constantly onboard applications. You have to cater to all the changes that is happening on the application side. So you need to have a factory model where it comes into the hopper, follows the entire process, and gets out nice and clean. And what do you think are some of the leading applications, IEM platforms that that are out there A, for enterprise, but look, if I'm a medium, small business, what is a good value, good delivery? That's something you've worked across. Obviously, I don't want to get into product <laughs> feelings and so forth, but what really is a market leader and what's not? Sure. Again, the, this is just my <laughs> personal opinion, nothing connected to where I worked or what products we chose there. But I want to start with, uh, there isn't obviously one size or one product fits all kind of a situation. You want to take into account your use cases, your requirements before making a choice. Some of the leading vendors, for example, if you're looking at identity governance, obviously there's Cellpoint and there's Savient. Uh, Savient obviously is more cloud when compared to Cellpoint. Cellpoint has both their versions, on-prem and the cloud version, but I think, and I've liked the on-prem version 
better. Those are, I think, the two big tools. But nowadays, you've seen, we are seeing vendors like Okta, Microsoft also trying to come into this identity governance space. I think they're slowly but surely doing it. Then you talk about authentication. Obviously, you know, there's, there's Ping, there's Okta, there is ForgeRock, a variety of tools for, again, each of these vendors, we now have different types of models or licensing models. So depending on what tier you fall under, they're going to have something that works well. For a SMB a company, I would perhaps even look at Auth0 when compared to the other tools. Privileged access, I think there's CyberArk, obviously, I think has been a leader for a while. There's Beyond Trust, I think Baumgart and Beyond Trust merged, right? So that's another company. There's Centrify, which I think is now called Delinea. There, They have their own set of PAM tools. There's Quest or, you know, I think one identity. I forgot what it's called now. I think it's called Safeguard or SafePass. I don't know what the name of the new company is, but those are some of the major tools in the market when you think about IEM. Now, all these are vendors. Yeah, 15 years ago, it was Tivoli and SiteMinder is what I get trained. Correct, Oracle too. Those are the products, but keep in mind, each cloud service provider is coming up with their own cloud-native product, right? So Azure, for example, it has Azure PIM, which helps manage all your accounts. It has capabilities like just-in-time access provisioning and access management capabilities. Same thing with OS, their own authentication module, if you wanted to use that. All of that can always go back and look at your identity provider on-prem, or you can even work with your SSO tools that are within the company. So there's a lot of cloud-native options that are available. And then there are all these other vendors. Now, as a company, you want to you want to look at the pros and cons of, of the two type, the two categories of tools, right? Using cloud-native versus cloud-agnostic and make whatever is the best decision for you, right? If, for example, you're a primarily a Microsoft shop, where all your applications are, are on Active Directory Azure, and perhaps in going with Azure, going with Microsoft authentication, their services make sense. Whereas if you're a shop that has AWS, Azure, GCP, you have all kinds of applications, legacy and modern, etc., then maybe it makes sense to go cloud agnostic and use tools outside like a SailPoint, Savian, CyberArk, any of these tools. So now you're managing all of these externally. It may not work as cohesively with some of these platforms as you would like, but it gives you the advantage of managing it in one place and more centrally. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. It was just a yeah, different world. And then when you find some people that don't even have privileged access management anywhere, some of the in enterprises, they don't even check out IDs. It's all local last pass and it's in different files, different places and that kind of stuff. I kind of really so, get a lot of that. Yeah. It, no, absolutely. So if there's one thing, you know, that I want the people hearing to this session slash podcast to take away from this is make sure you have a program to manage privileged access. It's probably the number one or number two to IT risk in most companies. Financial services have taken this very seriously. I've seen the other industries picking it up because it just takes one compromised account, one privileged account to, to impact millions of your users, customers, data, uh, just enormous amount of impact. You have to have a privileged access program. Forget about making it easy for the users. Let them have, let them give in paper requests for their access. I don't care. But do have a program for privileged access. If you don't manage your privileged access, you're bound to have issues. 
going to manage you. Yeah. I am so glad that you could join us today. I thought it was a great time and delved into different aspects of identity access management. What's the top things to look at for a program perspective? What are the uh, kind of the loopholes or the gotchas you got to look at for too as well? User fatigue on password. I know I'm guilty of that. Trying to figure out a new password to make something as a variation of the last one all the time. And then remember when you change that one, but that's still the password for something else. It just... It becomes really interesting. It trains that to a more of a passphrase and so forth. But man, I really appreciate you coming on the show here. Looking forward to hearing about more uh, things that you're doing, identity access management in the enterprise. And thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Josh, for this opportunity. It's, it's been awesome talking about cybersecurity and IEM and uh, looking forward to your uh, other topics and other sessions. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. And for everybody else, just remember to hit that like button hit that subscribe button, tell your friends about it. You want to repost that on your LinkedIn, your social media. We're trying to make sure that we're able to reach as many people as possible. Also, this podcast is supported by Deep Seas. So that's the company that I work for. They have been sponsored this program. And you can always find out more about them by going to www.deepseas.com. So thank you very much and stay secure. Thanks for listening to this episode of Cybersecurity America on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope you've learned some valuable information to help you be a better executive leader and navigate today's complex world of cybersecurity. Until next week, stay secure.